church. It's great to be here, and again, good to see all of you out this morning, and welcome to those who are online with us. Uh, every uh, now and again, we like to change things up and do a sermon on the Lord's Supper. It's been a, it seems like a few years since we have done that, and um, in the last month or so, I've also had some questions about the Lord's Supper. So, uh, those things will just come out, and hopefully you'll hear the answers we go down through this. So, we're going to change things up, follow the bulletin, I'll have this uh, sermon, outlines on the back, you can follow along and behind me, and then we'll go down, the men will come up, lead us in our song like normal, prepare our hearts and mind with our Lord and Savior, and then the men will come up for the devotions, and then we'll partake and then I'll come back up at the end and have a short closing and invitation. So the theme right now is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And our text is found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. So please turn there if you have your scriptures. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. I'm going to read from the New American Standard. Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this cup of the Father from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is one of the passages which talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus was having the Passover feast, and he was going to soon be the Passover lamb for all mankind and those who would accept him. And uh, he longed to have that Passover feast with them. And he again institutes and shows us the importance of the Lord's Supper. There are other places in the Gospels. John doesn't mention the institution of the Lord's Supper, but Paul does. So you have this passage here. And then Mark, in Mark 14, 22 through 25, then Luke 22, 19 through 20, and then Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. Uh, they all mention uh, the Lord's Supper, various facts and things that we're going to hit uh, about that. And we need to understand that uh, the Lord's Supper is the greatest of memorials in the world. And it is also the greatest memorial for Christ's church. The early church, back in the first century, after Christ had risen and died and ascended into heaven and the church was started, we see that Christians came together. This is why they came, to partake of the Lord's Supper each week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the first day, when we were gathered together to break bread. That's why they gathered. 
Now, when they gathered to break bread, there are other things that they're able to do. We know they took up offerings from history. We know that they sang. And we know that surely one of them or somebody would preach or teach, uh, read some scriptures so that they could be encouraged and edified. So the local assembly, the local church, they came and they met those brothers and sisters in Christ. And communion in the Lord's Supper is a sharing with Christ and with one another. And it is possible at this table to receive one of the highest blessings by partaking. But also, if you don't do it properly, uh, you can receive one of the greatest of condemnations. To know its significance and observe it properly uh, is most important. Uh, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. You can follow along there if you want. We're going to look at a few verses there. Uh, which say, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. To partake in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? It means to treat it carelessly, flippantly. You just come in here and you just say, ah, this is just another thing we do and, and just take it. Man, don't do that. Okay, hopefully when we get done with this, you're going to see, boy, this is what we're coming together for. And uh, I need to take this properly. Um, the idea here is also unworthy manner or to do it irreverently or commonplace. So this means to recognize a solemn writer symbol and to do it in a casual manner, treating it as something ordinary. Just, ah, eh, this is just a thing that the church does, so I'll just take it. Okay, don't, don't do that when you take the Lord's Supper. Uh, taking the Lord's Supper with an attitude like this is, is saying that it's not important. It's just another thing we do. Who really cares? Does it really matter if I take it or not each week? It's just another religious thing that we do. You see, this type of attitude is clearly wrong and dangerous, according to this verse here. Don't do it in an unworthy manner. So then, if a person partakes of this solemn rite without discernment of the events that it is memorializing, or without regard to the obligations that are imposed by it, or without any con, uh, consistent effort in partaking it, Continually and faithfully throughout your life or until the Lord returns or without the due reverence and appreciation due such an ordinance and great memorial and wonderful feast and table that he's laid before us. The idea is here that such a person becomes guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. The meaning of this being that they in a spiritual sense, have become a crucifier of the Lord himself. Now, wait a minute, Dave. Come on. I thought that this means I needed to be worthy. I need to be worthy to partake. Well, many Christians have concluded that they're unworthy. And their unworthiness forbids 
them from partaking of the Lord's Supper. But that's not true at all. Okay, that's not what's being said here. The rendering here means, the meaning is clear, that it is not worthiness of the participant, which is in view, but the worthiness of the manner of partaking of it. It's not that I'm worthy. None of us are worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's only by grace and his goodness that we can do that. But I don't want to come in here with some flip it, I don't care attitude and be like, I'm going to go ahead and yeah, everybody's doing it. So I'll just go ahead and take the Lord's Supper, you know, and you're sitting there and you're thinking about, I wonder what I'm going to eat after church. I wonder if I'm going to be able to get out of here and get to see the Steelers game. We don't have to worry about that now until next year, right? Uh, Oh, I... I need to go and run by the store and I need to get this and I need to get that. And, and you're not thinking about Jesus. You're not thinking about what he has done for you and him dying. The son of God died for us so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And we're coming here to celebrate and memorialize and to remember his body and his blood, his life force that was drained from him. He was beat and bruised. He didn't have to endure that and go through that. We need to be concentrating and thinking upon that and and be focused in on it. Not everything else. And taking in a manner that's careless, flippant, I don't care kind of thing. That's terrible. And again, none of us, you know, who is truly worthy to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. You know, the moment we say we're supposed that we're worthy to do such a thing would deny that we're worthy to do it. Think about that. That's a mouthful. Who truly is worthy to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God? The moment that we suppose that we're worthy to do such a thing would deny that we're worthy to do it. It's only by grace and we're humbly coming and saying, dear God, oh, thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness and volunteering yourself to die and to pay and be the propitiation for my sins and to pay this debt that I could never pay. He goes on there in verse 28 and 29, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11. But a man must examine himself. Now we get to this place that we need to examine. Look at ourselves. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Have you ever come and you've come and we're going to take communion and you just weren't in the right frame of mind? You just weren't there. You know what? Don't take it. There's nothing wrong with not taking it. It would be better to examine yourself and to try to get yourself in the right frame of mind and then come back in the evening and and then take the Lord's Supper when you're in a better frame of mind. You know, maybe you had a crisis. Maybe you find out there was a death in your family or somebody died in the church and you were just devastated and your mind was constantly somewhere else and thinking about these things. And you just couldn't concentrate and focus on Christ. You know what? Just relax. Don't take it. Come back and take it when you're worthy and when you're ready. But remember, don't go and say, oh, I'll take it tomorrow. No. We're told to take it on the first day of the week 
together as a group. And we'll talk about that here a little bit more. I'm running out of time. I don't want to go real long, and I'm still on my introduction. <laughs> so let's move. So we must examine ourselves. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Verse 28 again says, must, a person must examine themselves before taking part in such a service. The least we can do is to, again, conduct a, a regular, rigorous self-examination if we have some sins or some issues or problems then repent of them, confess them to the Lord, get those things dealt with. The idea here, again, uh, this examination and everything, it's a, it's a testing. And back in the first century, they used this word for testing metals. When they refined metals and heated them, if it was gold or silver or whatever it was, they tested it properly and made sure that it was strong enough. It wasn't going to break. We need to test ourselves in the fires and make sure that we're good and do a true uh, self-examination and not fool ourselves and get things cleared up and say, God, forgive me of this and help me not to do it anymore and to fortify myself. Okay? The point is that no Christian, again, should observe the Lord's Supper in a casual or flippant manner, treating it as uh, something ordinary, it is the central ordinance of Christianity and partaking of it properly has eternal consequences. And this idea of judgment, uh, it could be in your translation, uh, damnation or condemnation, the word there. In any event, uh, the meaning here is dealing with the consequences that are both, again, very serious and have eternal um, significance to it. So with this seriousness in mind, uh, thinking of this memorial and the Lord's Supper, what does it mean to a Christian? First off, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration. Well, what's a commemoration, Dave? What do you mean? Well, commemorating something. To commemorate something is to have a service. Uh, maybe it's a, even a celebration in memory of some person or some event. You're having a commemoration of that, a commemoration of that person and maybe what they've done through their life work or whatever. Well, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration of the memorial of Jesus Christ and the substitutionary death of him paying for our sins. <coughs> Excuse me. So it is uh, observed in memory of Christ according to Luke 22 verse 19, which says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm glad they carved that on this table. What's it say? Do this in remembrance of Dave, of Laura, of Fred. No, of me, of Jesus. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he's saying, when you do it, remember me. 
Don't talk about personal things when you're up here doing a communion meditation and get me thinking all kinds of crazy stuff. When you're up here and you're doing a communion meditation, you should talk about Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and get people focused upon that and him dying for us on the cross. If You don't have to get up here and preach a sermon. Read a scripture about Jesus dying, being beat or something, and make a small comment and have a prayer. Take two, three minutes. You don't have to get up here and preach all this stuff and say all these things. No, keep it short. Keep it sweet. Keep people focused on Jesus. Let me sit there in the pew now with that idea and other ideas and things that I know and pray to God and talk to God. You see, it's about Jesus and remembering him, his death, burial, and resurrection. Men's inclination, again, is to forget. We all forget. That's why we have many things in life, so that we could remember things. Pictures help us to remember, because we might forget what somebody looks like, or tombstones, or a memorial when they're there in the cemetery to help us remember our loved one. The scriptures say the best of memories fail. The best of people forget. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 2.32, Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Can a young girl who's going to maybe impress her, her one that she's in, engaged to forget to get herself all dutied up to try to woo her, her man? Should the guy forget his flowers or whatever? Or his uh, cart full of chocolates that he would give to her to let her know how much he loves her and she's his sweetheart? Goes on and says, or what about a bride? Does she forget her attire? She's in there working and doing whatever she's doing and she goes, oh, I'm just gonna go get married. No, she's going to wash and they're going to fix her hair and she's going to get all duded up and primp around for 13 days before she goes, right? And have all the everything picked out, all the jewelry and all the th spices. And, oh, Dave likes this. This is his favorite color, uh, perfume. I'm going to put it on. She's not going to forget those things. The virgin's not going to forget those things. But it says, yet my people forget my, me. Days without number. So God knows we do forget. The admonition to remember here is often found in scriptures. The apostle Peter even wrote in 2 Peter 3.1, I'm writing to you which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm writing this and trying to stir you up to get you to remember what we've taught you, what's happened in the past. You know, some people... You know, to be able to remember things. They have to tie a, a string around their finger. Who watched the game last night? Jaguars and uh, what was the other team? Chargers. Nobody watched it, just me. Well, the commentator said, I talked to the coach for the Jags, and he said, I'm tying a string around my finger. And uh, he, said, he said that he was going to do that so that every time he looked, he remembered, we got to run the football. I can't pass a bunch. Well, the quarterback threw four interceptions, so guess what? They were passing a lot to try to catch up, and they didn't get the run. 
But he should have ran the ball more and maybe he wouldn't have thrown four interceptions. People tie strings on their fingers so that they remember to do something. What do we do? We write notes and reminders. We got date books and daily planners and calendars and cell phones and we write little notes and have them all over our refrigerator, huh? We got them everywhere. I got to-do lists in there with all kinds of things reminding me. Why? Because I'm going to forget 10 minutes later. I leave my office and go down to talk to Jan. And I'm like, what was Jan? I'm sorry. I forgot already what I was going to tell you. It'll come to me. I'll remember why we forget. So we have this memorial, this commemoration, so that we won't forget. Not every first day of the week we come and remember Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a constant reminder of his death and burial and resurrection. The emblems are so appropriate that help us focus on Jesus. The unleavened bread. See, unleavened bread doesn't have yeast or anything added into it. Jesus' body that he gave, there was no sin or anything in it. It was spotless, blameless, without blemish. It was perfect. So we take of that little loaf, which reminds us of that. We take of the fruit of the vine. When we look at it, it looks like blood. He gave his life force for us and died upon the cross. And we have these emblems. And these emblems are very accessible. I don't care where you go. I don't care if you're in the Navy and you're over in Italy. Guess what? I can go to the little store there and I can get some grape juice and I can get some unleavened bread. You see, I can go get a cracker that's unsalted and I can eat it. And the Lord knows what I'm doing when I go and pray. And maybe two or three of my buddies, we have communion together. You see, we can do it wherever we're at. In the Lord's Supper, by faith, I can see Christ's death for me. And this memory should stir the Christian to humble gratitude. God has provided for us. And these symbols, lest we forget Secondly, the Lord's Supper is a communion. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 21. If you'd like to turn there so you can see what I'm, I'm talking about here. There's a lot here. I need to get moving so that we can do everything. Uh, the cup and the bread are communion of the b- blood and the body of Christ. It says there in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 10, Is not the cup of blessing which we Bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Can I go and take communion by myself and have a sharing? Huh? What are you talking about, Dave? COVID hit, right? I can sit at home and take communion and watch on TV. Yeah, you can. But what's better? being with brothers and sisters in Christ when we're gathered together and communing and having a sharing together, not just me off by myself. You see, it's a sharing together of the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices share in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol was anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. 
And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. This word communion, koinonei, means participating in the sharing, in the benefits of the, the blood and the body here. The Lord's Supper brings us to a realization of our union with Christ. Paul's statement is that eating idolatrous meat in the idol's temple unites the eater with the idol and proves this point by showing that eating the Lord's Supper identifies the Christian with Christ. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is proven, and we can prove it, and I'll do it right now, for Christians only. What? You're some kind of legalist wild man, Dave. I guess so. I'm just reading what the Bible says. What I read for you in the text in Matthew 26, 26, did he say, for anybody who wants to partake of the Lord's Supper, go ahead. What's he say there? He gave it to his disciples. He gave it to Christians. Now, do we forbid anybody from taking communion? No. Anybody can take it. If you're already lost and you're not a Christian, it's not going to hurt you to take the Lord's Supper. And maybe by me going to a person and saying, hey, you're not a Christian, you can't take that, what can I do? I can push them away. Where if they're coming and they're partaking of that, they're hearing the preaching and the teaching and they're hearing the invitation and how to become a Christian... And maybe the light will come on and say, wow, I haven't done what the Bible says to become a Christian. I ought to do that. And then they can learn more significant and more fully what the Lord's Supper is all about. And that it is for the body of Christ. If you're not in the body of Christ, then it's not for you. If you're not a disciple, see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I love everybody and we don't forbid anybody from partaking. Okay. Have, has anybody been told you can't take? Okay, we, we don't do that. Okay, it's not like we're trying to be unloving and push people away. We're not trying to do that. But when you boil everything down, it's, it's for the Christian and the disciples. Everybody understand that? Okay, that was one of the questions I was asked. The Lord's Supper, again, is a twofold communion, partnership with Christ. In eating, we signify our union with Christ. We are with him and sharing uh, his grace and his salvation. And it is a communion with one another. Us here together, we're sharing, participating together. In eating it, uh, we also show we are united with one another. We're one body. We're mutual sharers of this grace. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. It is an announcement, publication, declaration, according to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Paul said there, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every first day of the week that we come here and we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? What are you doing to your neighbors? You're preaching the gospel to them. The central fact of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we're communing around the table and remembering him, that's part of the gospel. Partaking of this loaf and of this cup. The Lord's Supper 
is one way that every Christian can proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection to the world. Therefore, we should not forsake the assembly, according to Hebrews 10.25. What are you talking about, Dave? Well, if it's in improper observance will make a Christian weak and sickly, according to 1 Corinthians 11.30, what will no observance do? What if I don't partake on the first day of the week? If I do it in some unworthy manner and I didn't judge myself in the body of Christ right and I come and partake, I'm going to be sick or weakly. What's going to happen if I don't take it at all? I'm dead. I'm a walking dead. I need to take it. It's important. I got to do it each week. It's significant. It's spiritual food. John 6, you want to go start looking at scriptures and going deeper and deeper. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation then to the world suggesting a sermon of God's love and grace and salvation. And every Christian needs to do it each week. And when you do, you're preaching the gospel to all of the people here all your neighbors and friends, maybe family members, and you say, hey, I can't do that until I go to church. I got to partake of the Lord's Supper. You're preaching the gospel to them. You're sending them a message. And you can even say, hey, you want to come with me? Come on down. Come learn about the Lord. Fourthly, the Lord's Supper is a dedication. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five? 25. Now, some translations may say New Testament, but uh, a lot of the newer translations, I think, have it better. It's, it's a new covenant. We're in a new covenant relationship with Jesus. Well, well, what's a covenant? Well, doesn't a man and a woman get into a covenant relationship when they're married? And what do they do? They seal their marriage with vows and promises and a ring. Well, how do we get in this new covenant with Jesus? Well, it's through his blood, right? God with man, Jesus' death upon the cross, his blood is shed. If we go back and look at an example of this, we can go back into Exodus chapter 24, uh, verses 5 through 8. Write that on your notes. We're not going to have time to go read that. But you go back there and read, and what happened? person comes to the altar, makes a sacrifice. priest gets the blood, gets the hyssop. You know, the blood's already been sacrificed there, so you have the blood to God. And then you come out, and they sprinkle the blood on the people. We have a covenant relationship. How are they ratifying it? How are they sealing it? They're doing it with blood. The blood of a sacrifice. In the New Testament, how are we doing it? With the blood of Jesus Christ. He's sealing and God's sealing and ratifying this covenant with us. And we're saying just as those people did back then, we're going to be obedient to you and obey you. When we're coming and partaking of the Lord's Supper in this dedication, we're saying, Jesus and God, we're going to be obedient to you. We're going to believe you and obey the things that you've commanded us. And, and taught us in your word. So, 
Exodus 24, 5 through 8, it's the recording there of the sealing of the covenant of God with Israel. Animal sacrifice, blood sprinkled on the people, blood sprinkled on the contracting parties, solemnly bound them to their agreement, and God promised to bless Israel if they obeyed his commandments and his promises. The Lord's Supper represents the blood-ratifying covenant between Christians and Christ today, Hebrews 8, 6, Hebrews 8, 8, Hebrews 8, 12. He's the mediator of a better covenant. How's he's the mediator? He's the mediator. He died on the cross to be able to bridge us from God and man. Who's in the middle? Jesus, to be able to bring us together. And, and he says, I will make a new covenant. Who will? Jesus will make the new covenant. Christ has promised to bless us with forgiveness and peace and hope and every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3. Eating the Lord's Supper, Christians bind themselves to this implied obedience to Christ. Israel back there said in Exodus 24.7, all that Jehovah has spoken, we will do. We'll be obedient. Well, we must eat the Lord's Supper and with consciousness of our promised dedication to Christ, he who kept his part of the covenant, then we should keep our part of the covenant and we ought to obey the things that he has commanded us and taught us in the scriptures. Fifthly, the Lord's Supper is an anticipation. It has been given for Christians to observe till he comes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. While we eat the supper, the hope of the second coming should fill our hearts. I'm communing with him now and I'm right with him and it's all free grace gift and it's something that he has done for me and I have accepted and been obedient to it. And if he comes right now, I'm okay because my name's written in the Lamb's book of life and I have book, chapter, and verse that I've done the things commanded to me to be able to go to heaven. So it ought to be a happy celebration and ought to be joyful. Jesus did this for me. And Jesus, I love you so much because you died and paid the debt for my sins. What's the, the wages of sin? Death. And he died for me and paid that debt with his very life and his very blood. The Lord's Supper, it spans the gulf between the first advent when he came there in that cradle, that manger, and was born to whenever the second coming is, the second advent. In view of the marvelous blessings that shall be ours when he comes again, we should desire and anticipate and rejoice in his coming. We can have this hope rekindled within us every week as we observe the Lord's Supper. This is the significance of the Lord's Supper. And there's far more involved in eating than meets the eye to the casual observer. It is here that we see Jesus and his great love and sacrifice that he's made for us. If properly observed by Christians, it will result in greater love and appreciation and faith and zeal and hope and joy. May we come to appreciate the Lord's Supper 
the meaning more and thus partake of it more worthily and be blessed by so doing it both, <clears throat> both now and also for eternity. The Lord's Supper, it's a commemoration. It's a communion. It's a proclamation. It's a dedication. It's an anticipation.